WBNE. Hello from elsewhere. I'm Valerie. And I'm Casey. And welcome to the podcast where we explore characters, themes, and symbolism in pop culture. This episode comes to you straight from the casino floor of the Bellagio in Las Vegas. Because today we're discussing new beginnings and revenge. Appropriately I, ominous. Yes. There. Like revenge. Revenge. <laughs> revenge. Revenge. At last, we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last, we will have revenge. We're not talking about Star Wars today, sadly. Although, we just lost all the listeners. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, no, we're not. Although it is called Revenge of the revenge Sith. Revenge of the so. Sith, and it didn't even make our list. No. Before we get to the main part of the episode, which has a lot of revenge, we have an all-important question also about revenge. This comes from multiple sprinkle wizards of elsewhere. A few of them asked... What fictional character do you feel is justified, or characters are justified in their seeking of revenge? I do we need spoilers um, for either of ours? Maybe you don't, I, guess you, I mean, mine's old. The movie's newer. Skip ahead two minutes. If, yeah. <laughs> if you don't want spoilers for Black Panther, you should have seen that by now. And what was yours, Valerie? Murder on the Orient Express. Okay, so Murder on the Orient Express or Black Panther. If you haven't seen either, skip ahead a couple minutes. Yes. Yeah, so Murder on the Orient, Orient Express, the Agatha Christie novel and the newer movie came out a couple of years ago. There's been multiple film versions. Oh, there has been. Yeah. But I was just thinking the most recent is yeah. probably what people have seen, which is pretty good. Yeah, it's fine. Um, But their characters, they kill off this, uh, this mobster who had killed somebody who was close to them and got away scot-free with it. So it was like a young girl that he had like abducted. Anyways, I am not at all sad that they got revenge and took him off the planet. Yeah, here's the tricky thing about revenge. It's one of those morally gray areas that no one really... It doesn't have hard and fast moral rules like other rules of our society. I think people vary widely on what's appropriate and inappropriate when it comes to retaliation and revenge and you know taking justice into your own hands and all this sort of thing. So it's kind of a... I don't know, there's a broadness to it. Because right? oh, yes. someone might completely disagree with that those characters were justified in murdering even that monster, right? right? It's, it's I a know. weird... In any question, it's. Um, I think it's really interesting the way they do it, too, is they all take an action that can kill him, but you don't know who... Like, so they themselves don't even know who actually who killed them. Yeah, very fascinating. So if you were worried about it, you wouldn't really have to live with the guilt of killing somebody because you're like, I don't know, maybe it wasn't me. <laughs> but... I think in general, I would say that revenge should give way to the justice of the law. In But the law is also very flawed. Like, for example, this mobster, they couldn't actually technically connect him to the crime, even though everybody knew he did it. And so he was not convicted for the death of this little girl that they all loved. And so that's really hard because it's like, well, yeah, if the court had gotten justice then they wouldn't have felt the need to seek revenge. Right, but if the system is flawed in some way or if it privileges certain people over others, then... Exactly. Yeah, because I have that same knee-jerk reaction of, well, let's let higher authorities handle this. Mm -hmm. But that's easy when you're saying it from a place of privilege versus not. So, yeah, I don't know. It's Again, it's very... It's a complex idea, revenge. Or if you're a spiritual person, you might think, well, 
it'll all work out in the next life, whether it's, you know, reincarnation and they get to be a bug because they're right. an awful person or, like, or whether it's, you know, God will punish them. Right. Like judgment thought. isn't for me. It's for some, some higher, whether it's a higher authority here or, or, or a spiritual. Here to come. Yeah. yeah. So in it's the, In the great beyond mm-hmm. as soul said. <laughs> But yeah, it's very interesting. So what's your answer to the question? As hinted at, I was thinking about Black Panther and Killmonger. And I don't know that it's like fully justified, but I, I think more than almost any other villain, I totally see where he's coming from, Killmonger. Yes, um, his is very interesting. Part of it's because it happens when he's, he's one, a kid. He, and, he might be my favorite Marvel villain. Oh, he's mine. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's because of this, because you, you feel there's some justification there for what yes. he's doing. When you can kind of agree with what the villain is doing you're like ah i can see where you're coming from (laughs) and not even just his motivation but even um his plan i mean it's it's not good but like you can see where he's coming from at least you can see why that's his plan and so i don't i think it's so much more fascinating than when you get a villain that's like i plan to take over the world right and you're like but why well and you get a lot i mean it's revenge is common in fiction that's why we're talking about it today um especially as a a backstory of the villain like that's that is very often a villainous backstory is they're seeking revenge of some kind yes um so it's fun when when you get i don't know an interesting take on it or you find some justification in it versus them just being a megalomaniac absolutely let's dive in casey so today we're talking about new beginnings and revenge because those two often go hand in hand. Not always, not all fiction stories. I don't think all fiction stories take that theme of new beginnings and pair it with revenge, but those are the ones we want to talk about. Uh, You know, characters that have the chance at a new beginning or um, are looking for a new beginning and revenge either gets in the way or they, they can't accept a new beginning until they get their revenge. There's always some sort of relationship between those two things. So we've picked three stories specifically to explore this theme. So the three that we're going to be discussing are Ocean's Eleven. As Valerie's yawning, the next one is Count of Monte Cristo. Yes, and the last is Captain America's Civil War. Should we start with Ocean's Eleven? Yeah, Ocean's Eleven. So the movie starts with him in prison, and he's speaking to a a board, a prison board, who are trying to decide if he's ready to be released, and they're trying to decide if he's going to break the law if he's released. They ask him why he got into trouble and why he got caught for the crime that he was charged with. And he mentions how his wife left him and he went into a self-destructive spiral. And one of the people, they're all off screen, but they say, if released, is it likely you'll that you'd fall back into that same pattern? And and he says, she, al- she already left me once. I don't think she'd do it again just for kicks. So there's a little clue right in the very first scene that doesn't really come into play until quite a bit later. Yeah, it's a good subtle little hint. Because um, after after Danny's released, Danny Ocean, played by George Clooney, he has a chance for a new beginning. He's just been released from prison. The, this board that have released him, they, you know, I, I don't know how it all works, but they've decided he's and good he's, to go. He's out on parole. He's on parole. Um, but and, yes, if he had, if he chose to follow the rules from here on out, he could have had a new beginning, new life, picked something else to do, gone back to school done anything <laughs> he's a smart dude he could have done anything but he's a very smart guy he decides to jump right back into the con game and talk to old brad pitt he's not old but he's his old buddy young in this movie <laughs> young buddy brad brad pitt and start planning a heist pretty much immediately after getting released their plan is to rob the bellagio it yeah. took me a second to remember the name of the 
hotel. Well, there's like three casinos <laughs> that Terry Benedict owns, and they're robbing all three because all the money is pooled in this vault in the, in the Bellagio. Yes. Um, so they're going to rob Terry Benedict, who's a big Las Vegas casino owner. And so they're planning a heist. Most of the movie, you just assume that Danny can't let go of this life, and he just likes planning heists. He's good at it. And he's good at it, and it's so what he knows. Yeah. It's what he's going to continue to do. I like the point where, let's see, who is it? Is it Saul? No. Who's the one who kind of like bankrolls the whole Ruben? Ruben. Ruben. Yeah. Okay. So I like that when they tell him they want to rob the Bellagio, Ruben says, that's Terry Benedict's casino. And he starts telling him stories about how when somebody tries to con Terry Benedict, he's like brutal when it comes to the revenge. Um, he not only seeks repercussions, but he will like destroy their rest of their life. So he goes like beyond a uh, tit for tat, but also to like really just ruin a person. So I think that's really interesting when you're speaking about revenge that uh, Tony Benedict is like that, and then he's the guy that that Danny decides to come after. Right, because like I said, we don't assume that Danny has any sort of ulterior motive until. Um, halfway through the movie maybe and then we learn that Tess is involved and that's his ex-wife but yeah the audience has no reason to believe that his wife has anything to do this the only clue that we get about her is at the very beginning of the movie but we wouldn't know that she's with Terry but we learn that she is Terry Benedict's girlfriend and when Rusty Brad Pitt finds out he confronts Danny and says well he says tell me this isn't about her and Danny says well it's not only about her (laughs) and I'll paraphrase what he says because this is a family show, but he's, but Rusty says, well, tell me you aren't just trying to get vengeance on the guy who is dating your ex-wife. And that's the point when Danny says, well, it's not entirely about that. So it is though, like we, it's not entirely, but it, it is partly about revenge that he wants revenge against Terry for so-called stealing his ex-wife, which, which he didn't, his ex-wife had moved on. They'd got divorced. She was clearly still upset at Danny there was no stealing involved you know yes but danny we really don't even get much indication why danny really dislikes terry other than that other than i mean terry's kind of the worst i mean he's he he, yeah he sucks for (laughs) sure and if you're gonna steal a ton of money from somebody steal it from somebody who's kind of the worst like yeah it seems like justice you know like your own uh i i would believe not that he mentions it but i would see that danny would kind of see himself as a a robin hood you know steal from the rich and give from the poor except they just keep the money they're not really giving it to anyone no (laughs) they're giving it to themselves but they do mention that insurance covers tony benedict right he won't lose anything not like he'll even lose anything so it's very interesting uh when you think about revenge like we talked about because i mean tony seeks revenge in the second film in oceans 12 which is huge. And he's like, again, brutal about it. He's like, I want all the money back and interest. But he didn't even lose any money technically because insurance covers it. Well, I was going to mention that too because in the second one, it starts off where Danny and Tess, I mean, to jump ahead and, and spoiler, but yeah. in Ocean's 12, they've, they have their new beginning. They yeah. have their new life. They've got a little house in the suburbs and they're just trying to live a more normal life. But Danny's revenge from Ocean's 11 comes back to bite him. Exactly. In the form of Terry's revenge. Like, revenge begets revenge. It's an endless cycle. But back in Ocean's Eleven, back in that moment where Rusty is confronting Danny, um, Rusty reminds Danny that they now have two goals. So they have the goal of the heist and also the goal of winning back Tess. And 
Rusty is concerned that, hey, if push comes to shove and you have to choose one of these goals, which one are you going to choose? Implying that if you choose Tess, well, all these other guys are left out to dry for doing this job for no reason, basically. Right? Exactly. Later in the movie, Danny surprises Tess at the restaurant. She doesn't know he's there. I don't even know if she knows he's out of prison yet. It's a good question. You get out of prison, do you like notify all the people in your life hey i'm out of prison well because they mentioned she has that amazingly acerbic line where well he tells her that she that she had sent him the divorce papers and he got them on the last day he was in prison and she says to him i promised i would write so right (laughs) (laughs) so i think that was their only contact was the divorce papers but they have a lot of argument back and forth in that restaurant she's justifiably angry because of his past crimes his misdeeds and how it affected her and then danny says I want to get on with my life and I want it to be with you, which I wonder if that's true or not. I know it like sounds sweet, but also he's here seeking revenge against Benedict for something that was like Tessa's choice. Like she moved on. Yeah. He should have just left her alone to her own choices. Right. And that's what I was saying. Like, yeah, Terry Benedict is a crappy human being, but you never get any indication that it was personal in any way that he had hurt Danny in a personal way other than the fact that he's dating Tess and we get no clues that he's not gen- like you know that he doesn't genuinely care for Tess until Terry. The, uh, yeah, yeah that Terry like he seems like he's a fine boyfriend takes her out to fancy dinners as far as we know they're you know yeah they get along all right at least other than he has to keep it secret because people are watching he says someone in my hotel is always watching so right. he doesn't you know kiss her in public but I don't know that that's a, a deal breaker I don't know yeah <laughs> I guess that's for you to decide in your own personal relationship. <laughs> um, but it's just interesting. He says that I want, he says he's begging, basic Danny is begging for a new beginning with Tess. Yes. But the question is, how true is it? Especially because right after that, right after that, Tess says, well, you're a thief and a liar. And he says, I'm, I don't steal anymore or I don't do that anymore. And she says, which one? Which one steal? And he says, lie. But yes. who knows if, <laughs> if that's true? I mean, if you're a liar, you would say that, right? Exactly. I guess the question is, if Tess had said, okay, I'm going to come away with you right now, would he stop the job? Given up the heist? No, I don't think he could leave all his buddies out out dry. Yeah, and so I think it's not fully true that he wants a new beginning. I think, yes, it comes down to, in that scene, I think his motives are twofold. Like he says, he's got two plans here. One is to win Tess back, so yes, he has to make contact with her and chat with her. But second is to steal from Terry Benedict. And so this conversation and running to him at the restaurant is kind of that uh, that tip-off to like make him suspicious of Danny. Yeah. And lead into Danny's further plans. Yeah, that's true. And think about that. Also, the, it's interesting because toward the end of his argument with Tess, he, he tells her, like, if you want to move on with your life and you don't love me anymore, that's fine. Just not with him. Danny's, again, making it super personal when... We don't really know why. Right. At that point, is it just like he doesn't think that Tess is or that Terry's good enough for Tess? Or is it that, yeah, he has ulterior motives? Yeah. It's all very interesting. I love this movie, by the way. It's a great one. It was clear, but. Have you ever seen the original? Yeah, we have it. Okay. Yeah. It's not as good. No, I would say this one's better just because technology's gotten better and they can do a bigger, crazier heist. Yeah. So there is an original with the Rat Pack in like the. 50s or 60s when it was made yeah um it's not bad but it's still fun to watch it's fun to see the old time casino gang yeah (laughs) it's no steven soderbergh early 2000s movie for sure i love this though in the end of that restaurant scene terry shows up and after a little bit terry asks danny well how does it feel you know you've been in prison 
how does it feel that you're out now? And Danny says about the same. Like, clearly Danny's not in a good place, at least not yet. I think part of that is what he's doing. Like we said, he could have had a new beginning, but he chose not to. He chose to seek this revenge. Interesting. So you would say he feels the same because he hasn't moved on. Because And he hasn't chosen a new beginning. He's chosen revenge instead. Yeah, because vengeance, I think, is imprisoning. I like that. I don't know. No, I think it's completely I don't know valid. if I'm reading too much I just much hadn't into thought it. about it. So what we do on the podcast is read into read things. Read too much. Yeah. yeah <laughs> for sure. So eventually Danny does get his revenge. The heist succeeds. They get all the money. It's and- that beautiful water scene with the Claire de Lune playing, <laughs> right. you know. <laughs> and he does end up back with Tess. She chooses him uh, as a callback back to Terry telling Tess that at his hotel, someone's always listening and watching. They show Tess video, live video of Terry talking to Danny later t- later toward the end of the movie. And Danny says, if I could get you your money back, but you had to give up Tess, what would you say? And Terry says, yes. So basically Terry is valuing money over Tess. The real question is, does Danny actually value Tess more than the money? Oh yeah, I think that's a big question. Because yeah. he gets both. Right. But if push came to shove for him, what would he pick? We don't actually have to find out. Yeah, and it is just a little bit um, icky that Tess is sort of a pawn in the game, you know? Yes, and the prize to be won. The prize to be won, yeah. And even though, I mean, she's the big part why Danny's even doing this, but you also get the sense that Danny does this, again, because it's what he knows and what he's good at and because he loves stealing. (laughs) Yes. So I think he would do it even if Tess wasn't involved that just kind of adds another layer and element of his past and the emotions of it but yeah it does feel a bit she she could have just she could have had her own new beginning just be like yeah i'm not with terry but that doesn't mean i want to be with you either right (laughs) Right. that would have been the best option for her because then in the second movie she would not have been a pawn there too so if she could have just uh moved on yeah why does she jump from terry to danny they're both pretty terrible (laughs) so yeah so although at least now danny's rich Right, that's true. But Terry was rich. Terry was rich. <laughs> she has a type. She doesn't want him to be a thief, but she wants him to have money. Well, unlike later movies, she doesn't even seem to care that he's a thief anymore. Yes. Like she's... She's an accomplice Yeah. by the second. In the second one, yeah. yeah. And she's totally fine with it. But this one's definitely a movie that romanticizes revenge, um, which is pretty common, I think, in movies and books. When you get to the the moral of the story, it's interesting that, yes, this one is definitely like, hey, revenge isn't so bad. Look, they got away with it and everything worked out great for them. Revenge and theft is fun. And it is fun. It's a very fun movie. It I don't want to knock it or say don't watch it or anything like that. No, but it is not a lesson you teach your children. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you do, Casey. When I'm not around, are you teaching the kids? You're like, revenge. Revenge is a way of life. Yep. I am. <laughs> And it's like, you don't really feel that bad because, again, Terry has all this money and he's going to get the insurance money. And so you don't really care. And that gets into murky water. Like we said, when is it okay? When is it not? I don't know. We're not the superior being to judge. No, don't don't listen to us for (laughs) any moral compass, please. (laughs) We have enough time being our own moral compass and revenge. I don't know. I don't know about revenge. We're just here to explore the theme. Yes. From a fictional standpoint, not from a real life standpoint. <laughs> yes, we're not. That's very different. We're not moral, uh, moral philosophy professors like Chidi Anagoni. No, he would have thoughts. Yeah, I don't. I want to know. Why didn't we knows. have him on for the show? We should have just brought him on. Yeah, we need to call up Professor Anagoni and have him on to discuss the themes of revenge and how that would be viewed from a moral and ethic standpoint. Right. I was gonna try and and 
harken back to my like philosophy 101 class, but I'm not going to make a fool of myself. So. Oh yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember next enough. to anything yeah. from that <laughs> from that class. It's been too long. Any other thoughts about Ocean's Eleven? No. Okay. The movie always makes me nostalgic for Las Vegas, though. You get nostalgic for Las Vegas? Yeah, when I see that movie. I mean, you did live in Nevada. Yeah, I lived in Henderson, which is like the suburbs outside of Las Vegas. And we would go, it wasn't all the time, because, you know, the Strip's kind of a crazy place, like traffic and everything, but we would occasionally go do things there. Like when I turned 12, Casey, my parents surprised me and my sister just older than me. It was like my birthday. We'd already had the whole party and everything. And I was like going to get ready to go to bed. And my parents were like, no, we're going to go down to the strip. And you're going to steal from the Bellagio MGM Grand. And- <laughs> <laughs> no, my parents are not cons. Uh, con ours. Though they took us to the um, stratosphere, which is like the really tall one. And then it has the point up on the top. And so we got to do both of the roller, like the rides up there. Like, so you're already up on top of this giant building and it's yeah. nighttime. So you can see all the lights. I wouldn't do that. And then it like shoots you up the little mm-hmm. spire and then back down and then mm-hmm. up and down and up and down. And then they have a second little ride. This one doesn't exist anymore because they replaced it with one that like tips you over the edge. Mm-hmm. But it was like, cause it's like a, the top of the stratosphere is a circle. And so it was like a roller coaster or just like a ride around the edge. So you can like peer over the side and see all the lights of the strip. And it was super cool. I don't know. See, I don't know how I feel morally about revenge and retaliation, but I do know that the stratosphere is morally reprehensible. So <laughs> that of that, I am sure. Just for you and your fear of heights. I like some roller coasters, but that's you too know much where for me. Our son gets it from. He's like, what was it the other day? Sometimes even being up on on like a, a high thing at the park, he'll be like, nope, nope, too high, and he'll like come back down. <laughs> Anywho, we ready to jump to the Count of Monte Cristo? Yes. I'm not gonna say it like that the whole time. So don't get your hopes up. <laughs> I really, really love the story of the Count of Monte Cristo. I thought you were going to say you really love the sandwich, the Monte Cristo. I don't know what that is. It's a sandwich. Okay. What is, it, what is on a Monte Cristo? That's a good question. I know it's like a it's like a meat and cheese like toasted. I'm not a sandwich person. But I feel person. like there's like specific meat and cheeses that you use. And I think sometimes they put a... And you use driftwood as bread. Yes, that's the one. So while you're looking... So a Monte Cristo... Okay. Yeah, I was going to say egg, too. Okay, so a Monte Cristo sandwich is an egg-dipped ham and cheese sandwich that is pan or deep fried. Yes, so it's very similar to the French croque monsieur. Does it get its name from Alexandre Dumas? Dumas, question. The Count of Monte Cristo novel? I wonder where the name came from. We'll just have to leave that <laughs> to the audience to find out for themselves the history of the name of a Monte Cristo sandwich. So... For this podcast episode, we're specifically talking about the 2002 film adaptation of The Count of Monte Cristo because it's the most accessible and recent and you can go watch it now and it's going to take you a lot less time than reading the original book. Um, I'm not super familiar with the book. Have you read it, Val? Nope. Um, there's, Excerpts in there's French a, class, but not the whole thing. There's a lot of similarities, especially in like the first half of and I haven't I haven't read it so this is this is not uh, from a place of expertise just what I know of it is that the first half is fairly similar to the movie and then later with the revenge stuff same idea kind of same thematic feeling just how he goes about revenge and and how it all ends up is is different but it kind of has a similar message so we figured that the the film adaptation would be sufficient for this episode and plus it's just I really like it the 2002 version with Jim Caviezel and Guy Pierce who is possibly the most punchable face in this movie. Um, well, easily the most punchable face in this movie 
Yes. But I just mean in general, he's one of those people that has a punchable face. He has a really great like sneer. He is a yeah. And you're like, man, I don't like this he's, guy. He has a slimy looking, like not physically slimy, but right. But the way he like looks down his nose wise, at mm-hmm. people and thinks he's so much better than he's everybody. He's so good in this. You hate him yes. when you watch this movie. <laughs> the film is wonderful. What's interesting, because we talked about Ocean's Eleven. So it has a young Henry Cavill. Oh, yeah. Young Henry Cavill. Baby-faced. Baby-faced. Yeah. And He's got to be like 16, it's wonderful. 17. <laughs> it's worth the two hours just to see. I mean, he's in a good chunk of the latter half. Yeah. Little baby Cavill. Um, but I highly recommend it. In fact, if you haven't watched it, you, you know, there, so there will be spoilers ahead. Where did so. we watch it? Mm, don't remember. Amazon. We rented it from somewhere. Yep. But what I was saying was... But you could check your local library. I bet they have it. It's interesting that Ocean's Eleven takes place entirely after Danny's left prison, right? The whole theme of New Beginnings and him not going after New Beginning and just seeking revenge, it's all post-incarceration. But here we get a lot of, you know, before, during, and after Edmond is in prison. Yes, we see the whole story. We know why he's seeking revenge. Yes. It's very clear. It is very clear. Edmond Dantes and Fernand Mondego... At the very beginning of the movie, they're heading to the island of Elba because their captain is sick. They're supposedly BFFs. Yes. Best friends. Knowing each other for a long time. inside jokes and references with each other. Um, but the island of Elba is rife with drama because that's where Napoleon's been exiled. And so then no one's supposed to go there. When he goes there, Napoleon kind of says, hey, don't shoot these people. They're, it's clear that their captain really is sick. But Napoleon gives Edmond a letter. And he says, oh, it's it's just an innocent letter between friends, um, but don't read it, basically. Well, and Edmund can't read. And Edmund's like the most naive, innocent yes. person. Very very naive, not world-wise. He can't really do much of anything, except he's very loyal. He has a good heart. Yeah, super good. He's a good guy, you know, quintessential good guy. So he takes this letter and says he'll deliver it, but of course, Fernand sees him take the letter. And he's like, oh, that's kind of weird. They travel, after their, their captain dies of the illness, they travel to Marseille, and Edmond has to talk to the owner of the ship company. And while he's doing that, Fernand and Mercedes are hanging out, and Fernand's creepy and gross and coming on to Mercedes. Oh, Mercedes is Edmond's fiancé. Yes. Well, they're not even fiancé. They're... No, they're waiting for Edmond to be able to afford a wedding, a wife, a, a life. They're looking for a somebody. new beginning. And they get exactly. it for a moment because Edmond becomes ship captain because he was so brave and willing to risk his life for the captains. They make him captain of the Ferion. So they're going to get married and they're super excited. And it was all going to be happily ever after. And it was sh- so short-lived, this new possible new beginning. Because I don't want to go into every little detail, but this setup's really important. Um, but Fernand... He and some other dudes, they betray Edmond. It's all because Mondego is super jealous. Yeah, so in this case, Mondego's uh, the one, see- like at the beginning, he's the one seeking revenge because Edmond has the life that he wants. And he I don't know if you'd call it revenge. It's definitely out of jealousy, though. And I really like when Mercedes has that line about, do you remember when we were kids and Edmond got a new whistle for his pony, or a new whistle for his birthday and... She's telling Fernand that, you know, and you got a new pony. And he was so upset and, like, jealous of this whistle of Edmond's because Edmond was, like, over the moon happy about it. And that's not a feeling that Fernand 
like knew that he was like you know he got a pony but it's not as good as a whistle because he's not as happy with it so he's always jealous and almost like seeking revenge for the happiness that Edmund feels it's because he's spoiled but he finds no happiness in what he has and yeah Edmund is extremely happy with what little he has so there's definitely a lot of jealousy there Edmund is 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 arrested for this letter that Mondego secretly turns him in for and he goes to Villefort the head investigator who's going to let him go because he realizes that Edmond can't read and it was all an innocent mistake this even though this letter had what would you call it it's incriminating you know there's evidence that Napoleon was trying to reach his agents in France and and try and be broken out and Villefort the investigator learns that the letter was intended for uh, his dad and he's like I mean, he doesn't tell Edmond this, but he internally, Villefort realizes this. And that's not good for his name as he's trying to rise in the ranks of, of society and the, the police police system. So he burns the evidence of the letter and then sends Edmond to prison, the Chateau d'If. All to protect his own name. And the Chateau d'If is like this island prison by a cliffside. Very Alcatraz. The craziest conditions you can possibly Alcatraz imagine. Alcatraz got the idea from. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, Alcatraz, Azkaban, it's it's all a bit of that. On the cell wall that he gets put in, this part's interesting, on the cell wall that he gets put in, uh, somebody, a, a prison inmate before him had carved, God will give us justice, which is interesting because Edmund at this point starts feeling so much revenge and hate that God is replaced in his heart by revenge. Like he even says that line, like, Revenge is now the thing that sustains him. And when he first gets there, he makes that inscription more pronounced. He keeps carving it. And he even tells the prison warden and guards, like, God's going to protect me and help me. So he clearly comes in as a a God-loving, God-fearing man, um, someone who believes in God and justice. And and like you said, that switches over to revenge Mm -hmm. after a few years. Because he spends 13 13 years years in all in the prison. But a few years in, he meets the best character. Oh, yes, <laughs> the best character. Um, he calls him the priest. Does he have a real name? He has a name. I can't remember what it is. But he does just call him priest. Calls him priest. Played by Richard Harris. One of his final roles before he passed away. And he's so good in it. So good. Such a frail. He's like the perfect inmate. Like He looks like this frail old man. I mean, he is a frail old man. He's in his 70s doing this role. Yeah. But... He's also like super spry. He has this great energy about him and it's fantastic. (laughs) And he's just funny. He, he's been, so he'd been digging through the prison walls for eight years, I think. And he comes out into Edmond's cell and Edmond's like freaking out. He's, he's um, like, what, what's going on? And the priest realizes he's been digging in the wrong direction this whole time. He meant to be digging toward the coast. Right, and he's toward the outer wall. Inward, and it was like a flip a coin situation for him. And he just chose wrong, but it yeah, ended up eight years wasting his time. And he's like, not even upset about it. Yeah, the he's priest. like, what else do I have to do? <laughs> but then he's excited because he's like, well, now I have Edmond, this guy that can help me dig. And it'll go twice as fast. So they start right. digging in the opposite direction, and Edmond starts... Doesn't he say? He's like, between the two of us, it should only take us, you know, six years to dig out of here or something like <laughs> Yeah. I don't remember the exact amount, but it's a lot of years, um, yeah. Even with two of them, it's a lot of time. Because, I mean, they're digging with, like, tiny tools. Yeah. And they're trying to, you know, they have to, like, smuggle the dirt out so it's not noticeable. and. Yeah, it's slow going for sure. But while they're digging, the priest is also teaching Edmond how to read, 
how to write, how to fence. Um, they're teaching, te- teaching him about economics and chemistry and everything that Edmond could possibly know. Because again, he was pretty naive. He knew very little. He didn't even know how to read. And, and while Edmond was very much like he knew he was wrongly imprisoned, he didn't know where to pin the blame. Mm, yeah. Um, until the priest starts helping him think about it logically. And, you know, he goes over the whole story with them and he's like, well, see if we can figure out who your villains are. Yeah. So at that point, Edmond has even more energy to. Well, he already knew about Mondego, I should say. Yeah. But he didn't know about Villefort. So he knew Mondego had betrayed him, his best friend. Because he confronts him. He goes to him to be safe, mm-hmm. like, help me escape. And he's like, nope. He's like, no, this was, I did this. Yes. So I'm going to stab you so you can't run away. And he does. And then the cops come. <laughs> yep. Um, Les gendarmes. Yes, that's the word. There's a lot of French in this. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of French. That was a... <laughs> In this French story. Yeah. This French film. <laughs> so the priest is teaching him all this stuff. And he's going to just use all this new knowledge for for revenge. That's his complete that's and total goal. That's what he's taking from it. Yeah. Which is interesting because that's not the priest's point. Right. The priest is like, I'm telling you all this so that you can have a new beginning. For sure. You won't be a naive, can't read, only good to, you know, your only skill is on a boat. Um, he's like, I will give you the skills that you need to succeed at life. He even tells him where this treasure is that he has hidden. I don't know or if that, he hit no, it. Or that he found. He knew who hit it, and he yes. has the map to the treasure. Yeah, the, like the, the riddle map mm-hmm. on the island of Monte Cristo. So, oh, there's the name of the book. There's the title. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so his last wish before he dies, the priest, he, he gets maimed in a cave-in. cave-in as they're digging. And the priest's last wish, uh, as he gives him the treasure map, is use this treasure for good and but Edmund even he doesn't even try to lie to the priest he's just like no I'm surely I will use this for for revenge he says yes (laughs) there's no question I'm gonna use this treasure and all this knowledge that you just taught me literal and figurative treasure for revenge Edmund's still not a liar he's got that going for true he's not a liar (laughs) although I mean the rest of his life is a lie but yes that's part of the (laughs) right now he's not a liar so Edmund escapes and by hiding in the body bag that's meant for the priest mm-hmm. and he like immediately kills the warden his first act of revenge right the warden i mean the warden's the worst oh yeah total he, he could have been snape that actor yeah could be snape probably not now he's probably kind of old but we we realized he was also in um three musketeers film yeah so he's like alexandre dumas yes <laughs> he just you know portrays all the villains in all the dumas films it's his one role in life. But yeah, so, I mean, he is the worst as a warden. He's like, even when Edmond comes in and Edmond's like, I'm innocent. And he's like, well, of course you are. They send the people here that they're embarrassed of and want to hide. Like, he knows exactly what he's, you know, covering up on that island. And he just does not care. Part of the broken system. And he's happy to do it. <laughs> yes. And then he says that so that the prisoners can keep track of time. Every year on their anniversary, he comes in and, and beats them. So like, you really hate this guy. So first off, you're like, oh, revenge. Hmm. Is it fair that Edmond... I mean, they're both, they both fall into the water over the cliff. And Edmond could have just swam off. But instead, he decides to drown him first before swimming off. Yep. And you kind of question, you're like, well, maybe if he hadn't killed the warden, the warden would have sent up the signal. 
Yeah, you can make that argument. Um, so maybe it was a necessary evil, but also pretty brutal that he's like, all right, I don't like you. You're dead. <laughs> yeah, I'm free. Yeah. I've got a new beginning, but mm-hmm. first... I'm going to kill this guy. Yes. So he's starting out with, uh, starting out heavy hitting with the revenge there. But like I said, Edmund's free Edmond's free now. He could have a new beginning and he, you know, could do anything. And like the priest says earlier, don't commit the crime for which you were you were accused. Um which is kind of similar to Danny Ocean. Like Danny's been released from prison and he goes right back to committing the crimes from which he was originally accused. Right? Yeah. But Edmond can't just live with a new beginning. He needs that justice and retribution, and he thinks he's the one to mete it out. So Interesting when we use the term closure a lot in films or books or, you know, life in general. And it's like, is this, uh, or like the idea of closure is that you, I don't think closure has to be revenge. But I think a lot of people conflate the two. That your idea of being able to move on with your life is first clearing your past. And for them, clearing the past is revenge first and then once they do that they'll be able to move on right because this story wouldn't exist without the revenge part like it's the major point of it and again back to oceans 11 i think that movie could have worked without any revenge against terry for um being tess's boyfriend but this one it would not work it would have to be completely i don't know i don't know where he would do no i feel like he could have gone and won over mercedes Mm mm-hmm and moved on with his life with her without seeking revenge for everybody else. Yeah, I could, I'm just saying it would have been a very different story. Is yes. all I'm saying. And yeah. I think we, I mean, this jumps all the way to the end of the movie. But also, if Mondego knew, he wouldn't have left Mercedes and Edmond alone. If he knew what? If he, like, in this alternate story, if, mm-hmm. if Edmond and Mercedes had just run off and he didn't seek revenge on Mondego and if everything. If Mondego was still yes, alive. He was yeah. still alive. Probably, again... He wouldn't have left them alone because he's very heavy on the revenge, just like Terry Benedict. And they're both trying to get their girls back. Yep. Sort of. At first, he's super, Edmund is super pissed at Mercedes because she marries Mondego. Well, it's not even, I don't think revenge against her, it's not even on his mind because he has no No. reason to believe it. And she's not even a part of his thinking. Like his... Not until whole, he gets out of prison. Right. Like, yeah. I just mean, yeah, in prison as his, the revenge is, the ideas for revenge are festering. It's all pointed at Mondego and Dunglar and Villefort. And Mercedes has nothing to do with any of it until later that, yeah, he learns that Mercedes marries Mondego a month after he had been sentenced to death because they had told his fam- family and friends that he had been executed. So everyone assumes Edmond is dead. They don't even think he's in prison. But before... You find out later she has good reason. But yes. we, won't, we won't spoil that. At all? I feel no, like we have to. I don't think you have to. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> we'll Maybe. see if it comes um, up. <laughs> so Edmond swims to like the next island over. And he makes another amazing friend. Another amazing character that I love. Which is Jacopo. Yes. yes. Who is a pirate. He meets some pirates. And gets in their good graces. And he saves Jacopo's life. So now Jacopo says, I am your man forever. So he's a very loyal friend. And then, of course, Edmond, you know, after he goes to Marseille for a bit and he learns that Mercedes has married Mondego and he's even more angry now, he's like, well, I got to go find this treasure. So he and Jacopo take a little skiff um, out to the island of Monte Cristo and they solve the little riddles on the map and they find boatloads and boatloads of treasure that they have to come back for later. But 
Right, so much that the little skiff just won't hold it all. And Jacopo is super excited. He's like drunk on the idea of all this treasure. And he says, well, what do you want to buy? You're the richest man I've ever heard of. What do you want to buy? And he's just like, revenge. Yeah. Jacopo's like, look, you can move on with your life. You can have a new beginning. Jacopo sees it. He's like, do you really really want to go down this path? Well, and he's even like, but if you want revenge, just tell me and I'll kill him. He goes, bam, 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 bam. I'll kill them all. And you'll be done, and then you can move on. So even then, he's like, even if you want revenge, we can have a new beginning really quick if you just mm-hmm. kill them really fast. But so that's not what Edmond wants. He wants them to suffer. Yeah. He says death is too good for them. They need to suffer as I have suffered. And, uh, oh, Jim Caviezel is so good in this. Because as I am saying really it, it is. sounds really, like, just cold, and you're like, I don't want to watch this. But you feel for him in this movie. So Definitely. At least through a lot of it. So Edmond with all this treasure, becomes a count, a pretend count. He names himself Count of Monte Cristo. He he puts on a mask. And when you have that much money, nobody's going to question if you're actually a count or not. And then his first act as count, do you want to talk about the best part of the movie? With his entrance? Oh, yes. His entrance? Well, like, he buys a giant house on the outside outskirts of Paris. Yeah. Massive, castle-sized place. And uh, he just buys it off this guy. Like, it's no big deal. Because, yeah, he's the richest man ever now. And he sends out invitations to everybody in Paris of note. Because he is trying to get uh, Villefort and Fernand there. And so he's trying to get these introductions with his his enemies. So that he can start and weasel his way into his life. But, so when he throws this party... I don't know, I think you just have to see it, Casey. It's so good. <laughs> It doesn't have anything to do with revenge. I feel like it's just the most incredible entrance of all time. It's just so extra. Oh, it's hugely dramatic and extra entrance. And the way he says greetings, that's why I say greetings, is because I'm just trying to be as cool as him in this yes. entrance. Greetings. I never will be, but... <laughs> he just comes in, fantastic entrance, you just, you have to see it. I bet there's a YouTube clip of it at least, like, go look for the Count of Monte Cristo's entrance. And then he just, yeah, one word, greetings. And he just like walks off. (laughs) So as Edmond is planning all this revenge and getting back at at these people, his enemies, and ruining them financially and, you know, emotionally and familially, he, like you mentioned, he can't see the goodness right in front of him. And Jacopo's like, hey, you can just run away and do whatever you want. You could. Yeah, Jacopo mentions that he says, take the money, take the woman and live your life. Um, but instead, Edmond is, le- is allowing revenge to like get the best of him. And instead of giving him a new beginning that he wanted, that the money could have provided, he's clinging to the past and this need to seek vengeance. Right. I'd even say that he feels like, that Edmond feels like he can't have a new beginning. Like he can't even see it as a possibility until he gets revenge, even yes. though it's right in front of him. Because um, even Mercedes recognizes him. She figures it out. As as Edmond and says, hey, you know, I love you. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not who you think I am. And then she really not, figures it out. Not, he's not done with his revenge yet. Yeah. So interesting because we talked about how in Ocean's Eleven, if Tess had said, yes, let's go. Would he have given up the plot of revenge? And in this one, we see Mercedes is like, yeah, let's peace out of here. And she even says, let it go. She's, let it go. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, no, no, I still have to do the revenge part of the story. Yeah, he says, don't rob me of my hate. It's all I have. She tells him, let it go. And he kind of does somewhat. He softens a bit. It's that old Beauty and the Beast trope, like a man needs a a woman to 
you know, teach him all those feminine qualities, patience, teach, teach him to not be such a man child. You know, that's an old yeah. sexist trope. And the, the, the story does fall into that a little bit, I think. Well, I mean, the story was written in it's like old, yeah. the 1700s. I'm so. just saying it's worth noting, not that it ruins the whole movie. But yes. um, No, you're talking Napoleon, sorry, 1800s. So he kind of does let it go a little bit. And like, for example, he's just going to run away with Mercedes, he decides. But he still wants to sort of ruin Mondego. And as they confront each other there toward the end, the Count has a chance to kill Mondego and he decides he can't go through with it. So I think he's softened a little bit. Yes, um, he decides that that's not who he wants to be. Um, I was going to mention before that, though, Mercedes says, um, he said, you know, when he says, don't rob me of my hate. And Mercedes says, God has offered us a new beginning. Do not slap his hand away. They say that in the movie? Uh-huh. Oh. Which is fantastic because it leads right into like the, uh, the line in, that's scrawled in the prison wall where it says, you know, God will... God will give me justice. God will give us justice. Um, and that's what Mercedes is saying. She's like, look... You don't have to seek revenge because God will, or you know, because God, He's giving us this new beginning. He's offered us a new beginning. Do not slap His hand away. It's a great line. So after so Mercedes gets it, Jacopo gets it. Edmund is slow to get a it. A bit of a man child, as I said. But then finally, at the very end, they've got their family together and they just let Mondego go. And he's like, "All right, I'm gonna stop this violence." Yes, you can leave let, as long as we never see you again. Yeah. Mondego doesn't make it a hundred feet away on his horse before he's like, nah, and he comes back and he well, says- Well, because he's been ruined. He has nothing oh, he, to like, run to. Right. And he realizes that his life is useless, but my, his line is my favorite because it's so, um, what do you call it? He's a big baby. And uh, he comes back and he says that, I knew I would never be happy knowing that you were somewhere being happy. <laughs> yeah. It's like something along those lines. like- Knowing that you were off being happy and I'm not, like, would drive him insane. Which is the purest definition of Mondego yes. as a person. Right no. there. That's it. He cannot be happy if somebody else is, for whatever reason, it's usually Edmund, if Edmund is happy without him. Mercedes gets shot just in the, sh in the shoulder. So she's wounded, but she's not going to die. But she begs Edmund, don't go out there and fight him. Because Mondego's out there yelling for a duel. And she begs Edmond to not go but I wish he had I wish he had just been like you're, you're right we're just gonna sneak out the back here and leave Mondego to stew but see Jacopo says it too that like he will not Mondego will not leave him alone he is going to hunt him forever so do you so at this point I feel like it's not revenge okay so I was, it's I was gonna protecting ask. his family it's self-defense at this yeah. point I feel like it shifts because his motivation definitely shifts so they duel and it's epic in the grass there's rock throwing involved <laughs> um and swords of course yes and stabbings etc mm -hmm. but the moment mondego gets stabbed there's like a rainbow behind him i don't know if you noticed that no I which didn't. is very symbolic of new beginnings and yes fresh starts Definitely. which i thought was fitting it's like a super quick they don't linger like it's subtle and maybe not even intentional but um no it's got to be intentional it's got to be intentional but it's just so really like, quick fantastic yeah but yeah and my favorite was that they, so after all that, and then they, he buys the Chateau d'If. Yeah. He buys, which, I mean, Chateau means castle. This is like a prison. So it's mm. interesting that it's called like, anyways, definitely not a castle. 
It's a tor- terrible place. Um, but he buys it, which just leads me to question, like, had they already moved all the prisoners out of it? Or did they, like... Is he the warden now? Is he the warden now? What does this make him? I don't think he would do that. I don't but... think he'd buy it with the people in it, but, like, maybe it had fallen out of use in the t- time in between. Now, maybe he killed the warden off, and they're like, well, we'll just move all these prisoners to other places. Most likely. Yeah. That's probably the most likely answer. Anyways, he buys it because he wants to... He's talking about how he planned to rip it down stone by stone um but instead he has gotten his closure and he says you were right priest all that was used for vengeance will now be used for peace see i like this line but also it's kind of late for that edmond right you've already got your revenge and now you say that I think, exactly i thought that too <laughs> i think morally that's a bit i think i think the moral message of count of monte cristo is a bit muddied you know like oh yes just up there with oceans too but, but I feel like Oceans still is kind of owning the fact that it is saying that it is romanticizing revenge. I don't think it ever mm. would deny that. Right. Whereas I feel like the Count of Monte Cristo is trying to say that revenge is bad, but also it doesn't say that until it's they've gotten revenge and Edmond is no worse for the wear. You know what I mean? Like it, I feel like I it, it doesn't always fit its own message. For me, the shifting point is the shifting point is that he chose to let Mondego go. But then Mondango's the one who decides to come back. And and maybe because I read it as him not being able to let go of revenge versus him just defending his family. Maybe that's why. Yeah, like I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a good turning point of how you would interpret the moral of the message after that point. Yes. And he still hadn't. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, he had already gotten revenge on Danglas and uh, Villefort. Yeah. But maybe he goes back and tries to soften something there, too. Like, maybe after, you know, once he's had this change of heart, we don't know. Maybe he decides that it'll help him out in some way or something. I don't know. Yeah. Give them a shortened sentence or something. That's true, because neither of them die. Neither Only of them Only Mondego die. dies. Yes. Um, the book, it, it's very similar, like I said, but they, how they get their revenge, how he gets revenge on all the three of them. I think there's more in the book. It's a little more complex, but... They, they simplify some things for the movie. And I think probably rightly so. But sort of the feeling at the end is Edmond has a lot of confusion and guilt about his seeking vengeance. And I think throughout the book, and if someone's read it, correct me if I'm wrong, but the feeling I got is that Edmond feels the whole time that revenge is sort of his God-ordained work. Whereas in the movie, it's more like he gives up on God, but then at the end kind of comes back to terms with, mm-hmm. with God. But in the book, it's more like he's thinking that he's been ordained to do this thing. And then at the end, he's like, maybe that was wrong and I wasn't ordained to do it. But even either way, it still ends on that note of, isn't it easier to say revenge is bad after you've got all your vengeance versus trying to not seek vengeance while you're in the midst of it? I don't know. No easy answers. Like we said, we're not the judge. We're just exploring the theme here. But I do really love this story, even though... Oh, it's fantastic. I, I hope it's clear no, that I love this story, because I really do. It is completely satisfying that he gets his revenge. Right, that's the like, thing about that's revenge. That's our yeah. human nature, is that we're like, man, I love that he just like stuck it to those guys who are so mean to him. Because they all suck. They all are. the yeah. villains of the story. <laughs> They're the worst. Right. The point, the problem being that are you, are you lowering yourself to their level by seeking revenge right uh, instead of taking the high road can we talk briefly about how this is a batman movie oh it 100 percent is also i needed to mention casey that uh say what you weigh and say what you may about revenge but it is really good for the skin <laughs> like how so 
when Edmond, I mean, the Count of Monte Cristo, you know, he like, the final scene, seeks out Mondego, and he's like, ready to kill him. And Mondego is over there like, I mean, he's been spending way too much time in like the gambling halls and with the women, and he's like, sallow face, yellow teeth, he looks awful. And then Mondego comes strutting in. And you mean man, Edmond? Yeah, Edmond, yes, and he's a very... Very handsome man. Mm-hmm. And he's got, like, the curly hair, and his skin is just, like, luminous. Oh, yeah. He's like... <laughs> no, I love Jim Caviezel in this movie. <laughs> he's fantastic. And, and when he goes in to seek his revenge, like, I think I turned to you and I said, I was like, revenge is really good for the skin. <laughs> no. like, he looks so good in that scene, especially compared to the, you know, like I said, the sallow-faced yeah. Fernando. Fernando. Um, but, yeah, I think this is a Batman movie. He's totally, he's totally Batman. Mm-hmm. When I first saw this in 2002... I thought Jim Caviezel would have been a good Batman. Yeah. Yeah. He's got that dark and brooding nature. And yeah, it's because of this movie and how... And he's seeking out revenge. The Count is very much a Batman character, mm-hmm. wearing a mask, going after the the bad guys in the system. Exactly. Totally. The system's not taking care of it, so he will. Yep. He's very... That would be interesting if, yeah, if you consider him like a vigilante. Did you know, on another note, did you know that there is a musical version of The Count of Monte Cristo? I did not. Yeah. It, uh premiered in switzerland but the english language version guess where it premiered i don't know in provo utah really byu (laughs) yeah my my old school um this was in 2015 so we were in arizona at the time so we Mm. if we had heard about it we wouldn't have been able to go to the musical version of the count of monte cristo but then it's like professional premiere in the u.s was in salt lake so very interesting both right up our alley I haven't listened to the music yet, but I need to. I know. We'll have to seek that out. There's got to be some good songs about revenge. And new beginnings. And new beginnings. And about how revenge makes your skin look so good. There's going to be a whole song in there about that. Those three things. Yep. Yep. Those are the three themes that you need to know. All right, Valerie. Are you ready to talk about Captain America, Civil War? Always. In the context of new beginnings and revenge? Sure. But overall, I just really love this movie. I do too. All three of these I love. This one, so the last two that we've talked about, we have structured sort of uh, by plot. This one, I want to talk about character by character. And just first, right off the bat, there's characters in this movie who seek revenge. And there's this one specific character who could seek revenge, but doesn't. And one that's kind of in the middle. So, but I mean, so there's characters who... There's the characters who seek revenge. We have Rumlow, who's not in it much. He's just at the beginning, but he's super mad at Cap. You have Zemo, who's the main villain of the movie. You have Tony, who we'll really get into. And then you have T'Challa, who's seeking revenge through most of the movie. Yeah. But he's kind of the his, middle ground his one. father's death. Yeah. He's kind of the middle ground one. We'll get to him. And then there's a character who could seek revenge, but really doesn't. And that's Bucky. But Good first, point. Yeah, first, though, before we get to Bucky, because I'm really excited to talk about Bucky, but I got I to gotta build <laughs> up to that. The first one is Tony. So Tony starts this movie in a bit of a dark place right he's still clearly struggling to process his grief as he says um of the death of his parents years and years ago that's sort of the main setup he's on the outs with pepper too and then if you remember after age of ultron civil war is the next time that we see his character so he's still dealing with the repercussions of creating ultron right he still feels guilty about it he mentions it a couple once or twice in the movie Ultron, um, and then this this struggle is put in stark relief. No, no pun intended there, um, or maybe it was when, when a woman speaks to him by an elevator about how 
Tony killed her son um, when Sokovia fell in Age of Ultron. Whenever I say Sokovia, I want to say Genovia. They are similar. Right. I'm just really glad Genovia wasn't the one that was destroyed. Let's be honest, though. I couldn't have taken that. Mia Thermopolis would be an Avenger. Mm. Like, she should be an Avenger. <laughs> I just think she'd at least be cool enough to, like, save her city some other way and not need the Avengers. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think Mia could take on the Ultron robots. She'd figure it out. Mm-hmm. So, Tony, w- with all this background and racked with torment and guilt, he's now looking for redemption and he's looking for a new beginning and then the government comes knocking with the sokovia accords which is this document that puts more restrictions on on the avengers more oversight on their movement and missions and of course tony's on board this is his chance for a new to beginning make things right which is very interesting because until this point he's been very much like let me do my own thing yeah i know what's right i know it's good and so he's a, reached a point where he is questioning his own decisions and his past behaviors enough. Uh, like he's trying to grow and he wants, like you said, he wants that new beginning. And he feels like this one that falls into his lap, he's like, sweet, I'll take it. Doesn't even question it. Right, because he sees this, the Sokovia Accords, as a way to prevent future Sokovia incidents. As, as the mom, the woman by the elevator had told Tony, who's going to avenge my son? Uh, this is his chance to try to do that. And, and, you know, Tony says specifically, whatever, you know, we need to be put in check, whatever form that takes, I'm game. And it's because he's looking for that redemption and that fresh start. Yeah. When we first see Tony in the movie, he's not seeking revenge. Right. Yeah. No revenge. He wants that new beginning. That's his, his story there. He's like, maybe if I can find some peace here, I'll get a little more time. I can, you know, fix things with Pepper. I can, you know, I can work it all out. Yeah. Even later... When they're having the big fight at the airport, like he's in a dark place, but he's still not seeking revenge, even at that point. He's yeah, upset. Yeah, he says, my plan was to take it easy on them. Yeah. Like, he's, like he has no desire to hurt any of his friends. Until Rhodey gets hurt, then he has that little retaliation against Falcon. But right. um, I mean, he's angry, he's upset, he's fighting everybody, but there's no personal revenge or vendetta that he's seeking at this point, even this far into the movie. Soon after that fight, Tony realizes he was wrong up to that point that he thought Bucky was the bad guy. And then he realizes, oh, nope, I was wrong. So, you know, so he lies to to General Ross, General, Admiral, whatever he is, General. Yeah. Secretary something. of State. That's who he is. <laughs> um, he lies to Ross and betrays the Accords. And he goes to help Captain Bucky at the end, the uh, rocket launch site in Moscow, somewhere, somewhere in Russia, somewhere over there. It's kind of, um, I think it's like Siberia. They put it up in like some big snowy. Yeah far away far flung location so even yes even at this point he's not senior in fact this is kind of a new beginning yeah like he shows up to cap and he's like look i was wrong i'm here to help so you're like oh sweet everything's gonna be okay now that's true i didn't even think about They've that but there's out. a there's a new beginning moment right a little there. new beginning there their friendship will survive this but then tony learns that bucky when he was the winter soldier killed tony's parents and tony Which goes Tony goes goes full revenge mode. Here's the thing, is that people seek revenge against others when they feel like they can win. Does that make Mm. sense? Like, Tony is Iron Man. He is powerful enough to take down Bucky, to personally fight this, you know, super soldier. Uh, It's just interesting to think about these characters. If they hadn't been in a position of power or been able to find, you know, the people to help them, like Danny Ocean He's not necessarily in a position of power by any means. but uh, He is because he's like 
in a place of subterfuge and secrecy and because yes. he has the plan i think yes. that, i think that gives him power, power. Yeah. yeah um so he's got uh his smarts that give him power um, but yeah so these people they well in the count he has to get his treasure and money mm-hmm. and and smarts in order to increase his ability and power level power level like a, a video game yeah he had to but power up he had to power up before he could see he had revenge. to glow up yeah before he could seek revenge mm-hmm. so it's it's just interesting to think about how i guess a good example of the opposite of not being in a position of power but seeking a small portion of revenge would be the mother at the beginning of the movie um she might not be in a position of power to take tony down even though you feel like she'd really like to but she's at least able to be like this is what you did and let him know yeah um, whereas I feel like a forgive and forget mantra would say, oh, I'm sure he has enough on his plate. He already feels bad. I won't, you know, show him my dead son's photo and, or just that it's and push on the gr- guilt. Yeah. So yeah, she, she has like a, a tiny, her little moment of revenge, but in general, it seems like you have to be in a position of power to take true revenge. Well, it's, it's interesting to talk about how, like whether it's justified or not here because with Edmond in The Count of Monte Cristo whether or not it's morally right you you can see the justification for it yeah Mondego's the worst yeah and, and they he, all all those three guys when well, he like purposefully sought to take Edmond like everything away from yeah. Edmond whereas Bucky was he's brainwashed he's brainwashed yeah. he's being controlled he didn't have a choice or a say in the matter and Tony, when he's confronted with this, he already knows that. He's just like, I don't care. He yeah. still, he still he killed, did it. He, he said my he killed my yeah. mother. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of and, emotion here. Oh, huge. And for both of them, like Bucky says that, maybe you'll talk about this in Bucky's character, but uh, Tony asks him, do you even remember them? You know, mm. like, because there's been so many people that he has killed over the century, the, you know, the extra century that he's been alive. Yeah. <laughs> that he's like, do you even remember them? And he says, I remember all of them. Yeah. Like, he is haunted by those that he has killed. Like, so even in that moment, Tony could have been like, I know you really didn't want to do this. And I know that you are haunted by those deaths. Um, but he doesn't. Like, he's still just so caught up in the emotion. Well, and Edmond had 13 years to stew over revenge and to figure it out and to scheme and to plan. Danny, probably a bit of the same, Danny Ocean, whereas this is all impulsive. Like we said, up to this point, Tony has had no desire or even need for revenge. It hasn't, there's nothing that's brought that about. Then here it happens and it's just an impulsive, emotional, immediate reaction. One of the potential uh, all important questions from one of our patrons today was from Allie and it was, uh, you know, what temperature is is revenge best served at? (laughs) And I think you could argue that Danny and Edmund serve theirs cold. Cold, yeah. They have been very meticulous about this and thought it mm-hmm. out, and they've got it planned, and it is just going to be, you know, a dish served cold. Whereas Starks is like piping hot. He is in a moment of passion and heat, and like he will not uh, see reason or have time to plan a better way of getting revenge. He just takes the first and immediate revenge that he can get. Which is very fitting for Tony's character. He can be oh, very definitely. impulsive. So. This totally fits. It goes back to old Tony. Like yeah. we were talking about how the Accords were his attempt at a new beginning, like wanting to pump the brakes, look for the good and the bad in a situation, and then assess and move forward and have some kind of uh, mediation to help him do that. Whereas 
previous Tony was like, no, they did wrong. I fix it. Yeah. And that is very much what he's back to right here with Bucky. This new information that he learns about Bucky and his parents upsets that new beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, Tony goes total revenge mode, starts attacking Bucky and, and Cap's fighting, too, because he's involved in trying to defend his friend. It is interesting. If Cap hadn't gotten involved, would Tony have killed him? Tony doesn't kill people. I don't know. That's a good question. But he was really mad there. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, And I think Cap senses that. He's like, okay, this is beyond Tony's normal anger. So this is like, I think he really genuinely fears for Bucky. Not just like he'll take him back and stick him in prison, but like he will kill him. And we'll get to this when we talk about Bucky. But Bucky says earlier in the movie, I'm not going to kill anybody. It's not in Bucky's, it's not on his agenda to kill anybody. I think he feels enough guilt here that I don't think he would defend himself enough to. Yes. Like, because I think he, he's a super soldier. Bucky is also a super so- soldier. He has the serum. He's also got this metal arm. He could. Vibranium arm, man. He could defeat Tony, potentially, but I don't think he would. But I think you're right. I think that Tony might have might have killed him if, if Cap hadn't. Stepped in. Stepped in. But that's. That's another thing I wanted to bring up was Cap, how, um, like, I get the feeling that Tony attacking Bucky, Tony's also getting revenge against Steve, just as much against Bucky. Because the... Right, he's fighting them both. When Tony's... And Cap knew. Yeah, Tony's upset about Bucky for sure, and that Bucky did it as the Winter Soldier. But we learn also that, yeah, Cap knew that this was one of the Winter Soldier's missions, and Cap didn't tell Tony. And with Bucky being Cap's best friend, I think Tony's like, well, if I'm going to attack Bucky, I can... He's getting revenge against both of them at the same time by attacking Bucky. Um, Right. Especially, I think he feels betrayed in this moment, double-fold by Cap, because it was like, one, he says, you know, I was your friend, um, and he should have been there for him. Yeah, so it's like... He's not only mad that his friend withheld information from him, but also that his friend is siding with, that Cap is siding with Bucky instead of siding with him. For sure. And so I think that by attacking Bucky, Tony is attacking the most important, most important person in Steve's life right now. And so he's, you know, he's, he's killing two birds with one revenge, so to speak. Right. And, and um, I think there's even more deeper in there Trying because. best, but I mean, one Iron Man against two super soldiers. <laughs> right. But up to this point, Tony and Cap, the whole movie has been them and their relationship being at odds and butting heads. And so there's still a lot of anger there with all the Accords stuff. Yes. There's also some parental dynamics where Tony's clearly a little bit jealous that Cap knew Tony's dad in a way that Tony wished he knew his dad. Yes. I just think there's a lot going on here. And I think he's also mad about uh, Cap pulling away a lot of the Avengers that followed him. Like, I mean, when you think about, like, Wanda and and um, Hawkeye and, like, even yeah. um, even um, Black Widow, like, eventually lets him go. And so I think he feels like it's Cap's fault that these other friends are being pulled away from him, too. That's true. And by friends, I yeah. mean family. They are the only ones that he has. So Tony's, like, the main um, in-your-face example of New Beginnings and Revenge, I think, in Captain America Civil War. But there are some other characters I want to talk about. Like, um, well, we can just go to Bucky because we're I'd already on the Bucky the train. he's the main for uh, New Beginnings. Yeah. I, think Z- I mean, I guess you don't That's get... That's true. You don't get Zemo's why he's in it until the end. Yeah. But That's he's true. also been doing it the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. 
from a from a new beginning standpoint that's a good point um but while we're on the bucky train of thought when we first meet bucky like in the present day he's clearly in a stage of a new beginning at least he's trying to be he's buying fruit it's adorable he wants to move on it's so cute he's like Danny Ocean in the house in the suburbs. He's in like, Ocean's can I, Twelve. Yeah, yeah. In Ocean's Twelve. He's like, can I just live a peaceful life, please? After everything that's gone on, I am done. But he can't escape the violence. It comes to him. And of course, when the when the authorities come, he doesn't have a lot of qualms about injuring them. But it's more like a, he's a dangerous, wounded animal, to use that cliche, rather than it, there's no pointed revenge toward the the SWAT team that's coming after him. Mm-hmm. He just knows he doesn't want to go back into a cage. Yeah. And like I said, he even says to a cap, I'm not going to kill anybody. He's injuring them, but he, he has no intention to kill anymore. He's also hopeless. Later he says, or at that point he says, you know, it always ends in a fight, um, which I think is important for his character to recognize that he realizes this violence keeps coming and it always ends in a fight, but he's still not going to kill anybody. And I think that's remarkable interesting he still cares enough about self-preservation that like he doesn't want to be captured and he doesn't want to die but yeah he has that line where he's like i'm not gonna kill anybody and it really um you know he really is seeking a new beginning and his new beginning doesn't involve revenge because he could be justifiably upset at all the hydra agents he could be seeking out every last little hive that they have he could be doing what zemo's doing exactly and he'd have just as much if not more justification for doing so yes yeah he and zemo could have partnered up and gotten rid of the other super soldiers they could all be hunting hydra and slash shield Mm -hmm. the remnants of it but just zemo's doing that but i think that a lot of his a lot of his value as a character from a like moral standpoint and a heroic standpoint it comes from this trait his tendency to um, at this point of his life, do whatever it takes to get away from the violence rather than be like Zemo. I think I think that when we talk about this movie, just in general, people, I don't think we talk enough about that, about how Bucky could seek revenge, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Compared to, because this movie is a movie about revenge, but it's more in your face with Zemo and with Tony. Um, but I think Bucky's an important person to mention in this conversation. You know, the fact that his function is sort of perpendicular to Zemo's or Tony's versus um you know like we said he could be hell-bent on revenge but he's not yep who's next on your list to talk about i want to talk about t'challa i love T'Challa. black panther his introduction in this movie this is where we first meet yeah black panther yeah so his father dies in the movie in an explosion that they think bucky slash the winter soldier he's the one that they uh blame for it yeah there was footage of his face which was really just zemo, zemo in a mask. In a mask. Yeah. very mission impossible <laughs> oh yeah no i Sometime we should do an episode about how the Captain America movies are Mission Impossible movies. So yeah, his father dies and he's king now. He could choose, you know, this is a new beginning for him. He could choose that, you know, but but he chooses revenge. He's like, he's a bit like the Count. And a lot of these characters that we've talked about where they could have a new beginning. It's right in front of them, but they can't see past that What's happened emotional to them aspect. in the past, yeah. yeah. I think that's a human thing to not be able to see the, the positive, yeah, the, the, the bad stuff, the tragedy, the trauma, and it's real trauma. Yeah, outweighs, it outweighs the, the, the possibilities. Mm-hmm, the future. It feels too heavy. But I do think it's interesting that the first time that the Black Panther is introduced, you know, him in the suit yes. is against Bucky. You know, one man seeking revenge, one man who refuses to. Um, so T'Challa, of course, join, joins Team Tony, but only because it will allow him to kill Bucky. Because, um, you know, he, like we said, he thinks Bucky killed T'Chaka. And he even, you know, later follows them to that 
old military site um, with the end goal of killing Bucky. But then T'Challa sees what revenge has done to Zemo. And he says, Vengeance. Right, and he realized that Bucky was innocent. Yeah. Yes. This is my favorite line. You want to say it then? Yes. You can say it. <laughs> he just, uh, so yes, T'Challa is confronting Zemo and he's saying, Vengeance has consumed you. It is consuming them. I am done letting it consume me. So he, I, I feel like this is his moment, like um, the Count of Monte Cristo's moment, where he decides, all right, I'll just, I'll let you go, uh, Fernand. You can just leave. And this is uh, T'Challa's moment where he's like, okay, I'm done seeking revenge. Um, he's had the end of it. But I love that he makes his choice before he's sought revenge, not after. I mean, he has sought revenge. Well, I mean, he before he's succeeded. Because <laughs> yeah. a lot of these revenge stories... They re- realize revenge is bad, but not until after they've had their vengeance when it's right. easier, right? This is hard, and I love then that about T'Challa. For it. Yeah. Um, but I also understand uh, th- that line is really interesting because he says the vengeance is consuming them, not just Tony. And I've never considered that Steve would be a vengeful character, but he's implying here that Steve is seeking some sort of vengeance. But it is kind of true. At a point, he goes like full dark side on tony at during the fight steve at that point is just like sick of it and and tony's blasted bucky's arm off at this point and i think he's seeking i could i could see an argument for saying that cap is seeking revenge for everything that has happened to bucky yeah like he feels so much pain for the loss of his friend in his life and for all of the pain that bucky has had to go through that uh he is and he is such a immensely loyal person that he is seeking a little bit of revenge for Bucky like he wants nothing more than to clear his name and Tony Stark has been in the way of that this entire time and he succeeds at it he defeats Tony and it's because he goes full on vengeance mm-hmm. and uh I don't I just think it's interesting that we don't really talk about Steve as a vengeful character right even He's in this usually movie the uh the hallmark of a of the moral compass yeah. For the Avengers. But I think in this movie, Bucky is more of a moral compass than Steve is by the end. Yeah. So for T'Challa, it's just very interesting that, you know, they they take the same road, like the same path for a while. But uh, so he and Edmund, like they, they w- don't willingly take the lives of the men who, who they were hunting. In fact, he saves Zemo's life. Yeah. He's like, no, the living aren't done with you yet. Another great line. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Casey. All right, the last character I wanted to mention was Zemo himself the he's our antagonist he's our villain but we were we learned really late in the movie that his family was killed in sokovia like mm-hmm. really late it's not till the that it, final set piece that we, we don't that. know what his like why he's tearing them apart we just know he's really good at it when i love this this twist sort of as an aside but that you assume this whole time that he's going to go awaken the super soldiers yeah but that's not his it's motive not or his goal purpose yeah he kills them and he wants the Avengers to defeat themselves, to tear themselves apart. He says, apart. you know, did you think I wanted more of you? It's any consolation they died in their sleep. Um, so it's interesting. Yes, so he's got this this monologue at the end of the movie here that uh, lays bare his motives. And he says, I'm here because I made a promise. Um, he had told his family, like, you know, that they would be safe um, at his father's farm outside of the city limits. Well, and it's fascinating that Zemo, a man out for revenge, knows tony enough that he will seek revenge against bucky so he's you know he's pulling these strings and he knows how revenge works because he himself is a vengeful person and he knows that it's going to affect tony and so he 
he's the one that reveals that the Winter Soldier killed Tony's parents. Again, revenge begets revenge, and it's just an endless cycle. Yeah, at the end, it's interesting, too, that like not only does revenge beget revenge, but also it doesn't solve any of the past problems. Like, it doesn't fix anything. Yeah. Revenge fixes nothing. Um, when Tony is starting to attack Bucky, Cap tells him, he says, this isn't going to change what happened. And that's when Tony says, I don't care, he killed my mom. Um, but that same thought is here at the end, like Zemo has succeeded and done what he wanted to, but it cannot bring his family back. And there's nothing here that will fix that for him. And so at the end, he's done everything he can to seek his revenge, but now he has no reason to move on and to keep living. Um, so he tries to, you know, take his own life. But yeah, he, his goal to get them to tear each other apart that was it. That's all he had left. Like, no matter how much trauma was in his past, there's always a chance to seek a better future. And for all of these characters, to seek a happier future, um, or at least a, a new beginning, a new future. And I mean, obviously, that's easier said than done, and it will take a long time to get there. Um, but instead of that, he chooses to seek revenge and then to try and be done um but at the end of the movie like i mean he has lost his freedom as well as his family and he still didn't really break the avengers he does i don't for, know he I does for say, a time i would say that i'm just saying in the long run fair but i would say that he succeeds at revenge in in a lot of ways yes um, and he does break them for a while yeah I, infinity war is still reeling with the fact that Cap and Tony are separated. Mm -hmm. And that even comes into play in Endgame later. Yes. So I think that had um, his revenge had some long-term, fairly long-term success. And and Ross, the younger Ross, at the end even says, like, how does it feel to have failed? And he just smiles because I think says, he knows he hasn't entirely yeah. failed. Yeah. One other thing I want to mention about Zemo is, you know, the first time that Bucky meets Black Panther, it's a man who refuses to seek revenge against a man who's seeking revenge. It's the same with Zemo when he face, first faces Zemo. Um, Zemo's seeking revenge. Bucky's just trying to get away from the violence. I do have one final thought on Civil War here, just because we were talking about how, uh, in, a, in a way, Cap could be seen as being torn apart by um, revenge. And I mean, there is another way that you could look at, like T'Challa saying that is, is that Cap is torn apart by it because Bucky is involved with it. So maybe not as much that Cap is initiating it or seeking it, but that he is still part of it. Yeah. Because his friends are involved with it. Um, but I do love that at the end of the movie, he sends Tony the phone and he, like as an olive branch. And he says, you know, you need me, I'm there. And so I do like that he's incredibly loyal to those that he cares about. But he doesn't usually seek a fight or um, seek revenge or pick a fight when it won't do any good. Like that's trying. That's like what he's trying to tell Tony. Killing Bucky won't bring back your parents or fix anything. That's just Cap. He's always the moral compass. <laughs> My really final thought on Civil War and really all of these is that movies and 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 books that are about revenge do tend to romanticize it. Definitely. Um, more than they don't. Like Ocean's Eleven definitely does. Like we, we said. Uh, Count of Monte Cristo kind of does um, because the revenge is fun to watch, even though it it does try to say this is bad but i think civil war is very clear that revenge is destructive and that it's it destroys the chance for new beginnings so i think it is pretty morally clear in civil war and i like that about it mm -hmm. um 
you know, like like T'Challa, he gives up before it becomes destructive. Tony, he and Cap part ways because of revenge. And even little characters like Rumlo at the beginning, um, revenge ultimately destroys him. And so, like I said, I just think it's it's pretty morally clear in this one. Do you have any quick honorable mentions about revenge stories? Thinking about Lion King. Oh yeah. And I was thinking about um, uh, Robin Hood because I keep hearing Prince John as he says "revenge, revenge" <laughs> <laughs> in the cartoon Disney version of Lion King or of Robin Hood. Um, I know there's some others, but are we... we just watched Home Alone two. Yes, Home Alone two. It's a lot of revenge. I think Marv and Harry are pretty justified there. Kevin's kind of, he goes, he goes past, you know, like cruel, it's cruel and unusual punishment, what Kevin is dealing out. That's true. But they are gluttons. They can't just move on and get a new beginning. Right. That's true. They keep coming back for the revenge. So that's on them too. One interesting they one is. They could just like wave to him and like, hey, Kev, in the streets of New York, and right. like gone on their way. <laughs> we got out. We're better now. Yeah. See you later. Um, v for Vendetta is really interesting in, especially as you think about the kind of Monte Cristo, because it's a not subtle reference in the movie. It's V's favorite movie. He he watches the 1934 version with Natalie Portman's character, Evie. And it, it's really interesting because at the end, he's like, well, what'd you think? And she says, I liked it, but I was kind of sad because it seemed like Edmund um, cared more about revenge than he did about Mercedes, which is so fitting and true. And not just for Edmond, but a lot of these characters we've mentioned, how revenge overtakes the, the reason that they're even doing it. Exactly. Um, so v, v for Vendetta is an interesting one, especially because he is a character. V is, you know, he's wrongfully wrongfully imprisoned and then he gets out and seeks revenge on the system and the, the people that did it. It is very, very much Count of Monte Cristo. And Evie even calls him Edmond at, at the end of the movie. That's all I wanted to mention here at the end. Should we close out the episode? Let's do it. Media recommendations. We watched Soul yesterday. I loved it so, so much. It was beautiful. Yeah. And the good, I liked the good message, moral of the story. The- yeah. Very much about mindfulness. I think it was a really good um, argument for mindfulness. Yes. <laughs> Without giving away too much. Um, Soul is really good. Yeah. Yep. So that's yours? That's mine. It can be yours. It's going to be mine too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have a new patron, Charlie. We're so glad that they're a Welcome, hero of elsewhere Charlie. with us. If you want to become a patron of Hello From Elsewhere, just head to patreon.com slash hello from elsewhere. There's so many great tiers and even the lowest one gets you some awesome perks. So check it out. We would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It really helps. You know, if we get good reviews, we get more listeners, which is fantastic. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at elsewhere underscore pod. Our cover art is by Vaishan Brandon. You can find his amazing graphics on Instagram at graphite.vmb. Hello from Elsewhere is a proud member of WBNE. Visit WBNE.org for more fabulous podcasts like Sincerely Us, a casual musical theater podcast with the best humans, Becca and Eni. Hi, I'm Eni. And I'm Becca. And we host the casual musical theater podcast, Sincerely Us. We break down all the themes, motifs, and plot lines of your favorite musicals while also having fun and sharing our love for the craft. We cover new shows, old shows, popular shows, and everything in between. Everything from Hamilton all the way back to She Loves Me and beyond. We keep things light, explain in detail, and try to make the topic of musical theater accessible to everyone. So whether you've been into theater your entire life or have just gotten into it after seeing Hamilton. This is the show for you. With new episodes every Wednesday on WBNE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And now on Spotify. 
well, we got to get out of the casino because I'm underage. And they keep saying over the intercom that it's for people 18 and older. So <laughs> that actually happened to me as a child. Me too, Casey. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. We were trying to get to, because there was like, there was this really good movie theater that was inside one of the uh, casinos at Sam's Town. It's like on the outskirts of town. And it was closer to our house. Anyways, we were trying to get to the movie theater, but we were going to like take a court, like a shortcut through the casino and you're supposed to like stay around the edges if you're underage. So then somebody like shoot us out. They're like, (laughs) you have to go this way to get to the movie theater. And we're like, okay, fine. We were on our way to California to Disneyland, but we were in, you know, Nevada on the way through and we really needed to go to the bathroom. And for some reason we stopped at one of those like casinos that are in the middle of nowhere to go, you know? Yeah. And... So we went through and our parents are like, you know, shuffling us, escorting us through the casino floor. And we just hear over the intercom, the casino floor is for, you know, adults 18 or older. Right. So <laughs> we're like, oh, I think that was meant for us. I know. It's not even like a an R-rated movie where it's like you have to take, be, you know, you have to have, like a parent has to be there yeah. with you. It's like, yeah, you're not supposed to be there. At yeah. All. <laughs> but no one like approached us or shoot us out. So no, just, there like, was just like a guy standing on the floor. He's like, you got to go over that way. And we're like, okay. <laughs> it wasn't a big deal. Anyways. You can be under 18 and enjoy Hello from Elsewhere. Yes. We won't kick you out. <laughs> no age limits here. <laughs> Happy beeps. Happy beeps. Happy vengeless beeps. Vengeless? Yes. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>